Welcome to Just to Know You, the podcast that interviews regular people at SAES and finds out they are far from regular. That's right. I'm your host, Darian Batten. And I'm Angela Kerskadden. Let's get started. All right. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Just to Know You. I'm Angela Karsgadden, and I'm joined by a very unique crew today that I've been very excited to interview. Um, today, we have teachers from across the district who are united by their common uh, love for kite surfing. So uh, thank you so much, everybody, for joining. And we're just going to go around, and I'm going to ask if you could introduce yourself. Just tell us your name where you are from, what school you teach at, what your grade is, and how long you've been at Aramco. So we'll start with the very far south. We'll start with Scott. Hey, I'm Scott Chapman. I teach in Abcake, and uh, I've been here for 10 years, 10 and 50, coming up in August, <laughs> and uh, I am from California. Awesome. Thank you. I'm moving to Daran. We have Fanny. Hi, I'm Fanny. I'm uh, from Daran Hill School. I teach kindergarten. I've been in Saudi for the past nine years, and uh, I've been kite surfing for the past four years. Awesome. Thank you. And watching my husband for the past 20 years. Right. <laughs> I know that. Uh, the next person I'll introduce is somebody I know a little bit. Uh, my husband, Kevin, go ahead. Hi, I'm Kevin Karskan. I teach grade five at RTMS. Uh, this is year 11 for me at, uh, in, for Aramco. We did six years in Abcake, and now I think we're year five in RT. Thank you. Uh, let's stick with RTMS. We have one of the mats. All right. My name is Matt Legasic, and I'm at RTMS as well in Ross Tamura. This is my 10 and 50, and I'm from California as well. Awesome. And finally, from uh, RTES. My name is Matthew Thomas Miguel, according <laughs> to the way I signed in. I work at RTES, the elementary school. I teach PE, that's why I'm in such great shape. Um, and I'm from the state of Pennsylvania, not the state of confusion. Awesome. Thank you so much. So I have some questions, and I was wondering if somebody could give the listeners a like kind of general term for, or kind of explanation of kite surfing. Mr. Legasic, would you mind? Uh, so kite surfing. Uh, if you've ever seen um, people behind a boat and they're on a, uh, a board, and so that would be something that we're being pulled by a boat. And uh, somebody help me out. What, what is that called? Wakeboarding. Wakeboarding. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It's slipping my mind. Uh, so that's wakeboarding. Uh, we're doing, we're basically wakeboarding, but we don't have a boat. We don't have that engine. Our engine is being propelled with kites in the sky. And the different types of kites are picked by the different wind powers that we experience. So small kites, and like you had given the idea that a uh, five meter or 15, if we're pumping those up, um, it just tells you that there are different size kites for different strengths of wind. Uh, anybody want to chime in if I forgot anything critical? <laughs> There's different types of boards as well, depending on what you want to do. You yeah. can do it on a wakeboard type. You can do it on a surfboard. You can do it on a foil board. There's different styles depending on the conditions or you know how you're feeling for that day as well. 
Thank you for chiming in. <laughs> all right. Awesome. Thank you. So, all right. I have a question um, because I am personally on the very far end of the learning to kite world. Um, so I was wondering if a couple of you could share your story about how did you learn to kite? How did you keep up with this? And uh, how did you get through all of the, the tough parts of learning? Fanny, do you want to start us off? How did you learn how to kite? Well, I learned how to kite uh, first because I was watching my husband and I was tired of watching horse stuff on the beach <laughs> in the wind, on windy days, freezing on the beach. So I decided I want to have a turn as well. So the way, I mean, here, if you're in Saudi and you want to learn how to kite surf, the best way is actually to travel somewhere else, take lessons, intensive lessons for maybe one or two weeks. I'm pretty bad, so it took me three weeks. <laughs> and then once you're like more independent, you come back to Saudi and you try. So I went to uh, Mauritius because there's a really nice spot over there and it's windy most of the time because you don't want to travel somewhere and then don't have wind. So you better pick a destination where you know it's most likely it's going to be windy. So I went to Mauritius, took three weeks of private lessons. We paid more for the lessons than the hotel. So, <laughs> so my husband, after two weeks, he was like, okay, I think it's time for you now to become independent and to know what you're doing. <laughs> so I took lessons, private lessons for three weeks. And then after that, I was able to, to kite on my own in uh, Saudi. That's and get awesome. rescued once in a while by the left courts. Yeah. I'm laughing only because I've experienced all of this. <laughs> um, Matt McGow, tell us about your learning how to kite story. Um, the other, like Kevin and Scott and I hadn't even really done it. And then we just decided to commit and we bought all the gear. And I think one time I went to Qatar and I took a lesson and I, most of my lesson was on the beach and uh, I think I was in the water for uh, uh, not very long, but then the three of us just were like, oh, we're in. And we just went, started going to the beach. And luckily the community, like kite community is so nice. Like people were like, we can help you. Like we'll help you. And so a lot of people, when we were down there, were very, very helpful to us. I can remember like Ikram and Fred were big helps. Like they would launch, help us launch the kites to get us in the water and then once we were in the water, it was kind of like, we just just started just trying it and then um, just kind of figuring it out from there. I do remember Kevin got up like right away, which was frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of typical, it's kind of typical, Kevin, like, oh, let me just start. Oh, I've never done this before. And I was like, oh, that looks pretty easy. And it wasn't, but it was like fun. And I think here it's just something to do, right? Like it's a fun thing to do in Saudi that didn't really, I mean, I had never really thought about it. To be honest, I thought like kite surfing, I thought kite surfing was pretty hokey coming from other sports where it was kind of like, this is like a weird sport. But now that I do it, I love it. Um, Scott Chapman, when you guys were living in Abcake, it was quite a commitment to decide that you wanted to pursue kiting because you would have to drive to, I don't know if you guys were going to Half Moon Bay or the other area what drew you to kiting like what made you decide that this is what you wanted to do yeah it was just like uh, matt was talking about with when they were both kevin and matt were living in uh, abcake it was just trying to figure out what to do on the weekends that could be outside and because i don't like to go to the mall and i like to be outside and uh, kiting was kind of like it 
And then once we made that decision, uh, you know, I went to Sri Lanka and had a few lessons. And then, uh, yeah, we came back and Zabna is the spot that you're talking about. And uh, once we finally just fully committed, it was like, uh, you know, trial by fire, a lot of injuries, some pretty major injuries, really. But you just keep going because I don't know, like Matt said, it's, it's a lot of fun. So Matt, like Gasic, you've been always living in Rastanura, um, but I, I don't think you picked up kiting right away. Like what drew you to kiting? Uh, well, I, I grew up in California and surfed all my life. And when I saw the kiters, I saw them for the first time. I was like, I saw them in Thailand when I was living there, but I was like, holy crap, I got to do that. Um, never got it together, never was able to do it in Thailand. It was about an hour and a half drive to where you get lessons. And like you said, you had to pick times when there was wind and we didn't. Uh, but then when I got here, I, I learned that there was a kiting community like Matt was mentioning, and it, it's quite extensive. And, uh, so the opportunity came, um, in Bahrain for me. And so we did, uh, found a weekend that the wind was going and it happened to be on a weekend when I could get there when I wasn't teaching. And, uh, so we got enough instruction to be dangerous right. <laughs> at that point. We got just enough instruction to learn how to put the kite in the air. Matt mentioned a lot of instruction happens on the beach. Um, but you, it, you know, it's a, it depends how much you get in the water, but it, it takes quite a while to become proficient. Now, I so. know a lot of kiters, and, and Fanny, you kind of mentioned this before, um, your holidays have been around places to go kiting. And so I was wondering if we could go around and if each one of you could just mention a place you've gone kiting, and hopefully it's different than somebody else, because I, I think you've all been to many, many places. If you can just mention a place that you've gone kiting and why you liked that place. So I'll start with you, Kev. What's what's a place that you would recommend makes a good holiday for kiting and wind and holidaying for everybody? Well, I was originally a windsurfer when I came to Aramco, and uh, my, my mentor here was Dave Fugley. And when he retired, he retired to the Dominican Republic. And so we were very lucky to get an invite to Dave's incredible house and condo in the Dominican Republic. And um, it was by that time I had transitioned to kite surfing. And so I actually went there to kite surf with Matt and you, of course, and uh, Molly. <laughs> but uh, that was that was one of our first kite trips. And, you know, we were just kind of at that that point where we were still progressing a lot and learning and it was new. And so that was just super exciting. Yeah. And we got to stay in Dave Fugley's place, which was incredible. Yeah. It was a nice bonus. Yeah. Uh, Fanny, what about you? What's a, a place around the world? I know you already mentioned the Mauritius, which uh, when I heard that, I was like, Ooh, I didn't know there's wind there. I would <laughs> love to go there. No, my, my best memory is in Egypt, mm -hmm. just because that's where we had the strongest wind, more than 30 knots. In her very strong and not gusty, so very steady. Was it in Hergada or the... Yes, South of Hergada, yes. Uh, okay. And I, I, back then, I felt like a... I felt like a Formula One racer, just by <laughs> how fast I felt like I was going, but I quickly realized sure. I was still not as fast as the other people. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Scott, what's a place you recommend? Uh, so I really liked... Uh, it's called Gokova, Turkey. And uh, it's this really cool bay that uh, has thermal winds, but the, the town is really nice. 
and the wind is coming inland and it's so smooth and steady and uh, unbelievable. But, but, you know, this kite spots just depends on the time of year. So it's a thermal wind. So, you know, May, June, July, August, those kinds of those times for Gokola is well, amazing. What was the water temperature like in Turkey? Uh, I was there in June and I just had a, like a, a uh, one, like a two, one, um, top. That was all I was wearing. Oh, okay. So it was yeah. pretty nice. Okay. Yeah, uh, Matt Legasic. Uh, I, I think I haven't been too many places, but I, I think, uh, El Guna in, in Egypt was fantastic. Um, and I, for me, it was kind of like one of those things that you have a locker right where you're launching. And all your stuff is kept there and you have even people to pump up your kites if you want. And it was just kind of one of those experiences like, this is awesome. Uh, so, and, and it helped that we had fantastic wind the whole time and um, more wind than we can kite our bodies would allow us to do. Right. So that's awesome. Matt, what about you? Well, I've been to quite a few places <laughs> kiting. <laughs> Um, but I would say the best place is, uh, the outer banks of North Carolina. There is no place like it. It is so amazing. So amazing about a house there. Um, it's amazing because one, you have something called downwind. So a concept in kite surfing is like staying upwind. So you can kind of stay in the same spot going back and forth. But in North Carolina, you can just park your car and just go downwind for a few miles. And it's almost like off-road kiting because there are these canals and these channels and things you ride through and you jump over land and there's just it's so different than any other kite surfing and then also because the outer banks is so thin you can just go to the other side and there's the ocean and so there are waves and wind and then you can surf just in uh, on the ocean and you can do it all in one day i mean you can wake up and go downwind on flat water and do jumps and then you can just walk across and then you can kite on the ocean side and ride there. I mean, there's just everything you could possibly want and it's windy year round and the best season is in the summer for a certain direction. So I don't know. I just, of all the places I've been, it's honestly my absolute favorite. It sounds like a, a very good fit for you. And it sounds like a, like a natural, like playground with all the like little things in the, in the water. Summer 2024 for me, Matt, I'll be there. <laughs> I know it's open for everybody. <laughs> um, Matt, do you kite? Uh, do you kite on the waves? I mean, yeah, I'm not. It's so hard. Like yeah. I have tried. I mean, because we, we are here, we don't have many waves, but I, in my head, they're giant. Mm -hmm. And then when I go and ride real waves, I get a, a real taste of like what a real wave is like. Because as soon as it grabs your board, it pulls you, and then. In your head, you're kind of like, oh, it's going to be easy because I have the kite. But really, it's the opposite because the kite, when you fall, that kite becomes part of the crash. And so you right. have all this gear around you and like you can get wrapped in the lines. The board could hit you. There's lots of other factors that, that I didn't think about. That did happen with, uh, kite, with kiting in the waves. But it's super fun. I mean, I've done it quite a few times now. And I, I, I would say... That's all I want to do now is ride in waves. Um, I really like that you've like totally segued into my next question. My next question, I was a little like hesitant to talk about um, kite fails and uh, just kind of like your, your, your big kite story of like what went wrong. Um, and so I'm just going to ask everybody if you, if you don't mind answering this question. I hesitated to ask because I want 
you know, the bad part of kiting to be, to be shed to people and the listeners. But I think the bad kite stories are interesting too. So we'll just go ahead. Um, does anybody have a, a story off the top of their head of like when things didn't go as they were supposed to? <laughs> go ahead, Matt. Yeah. I mean, this is one that Kevin is, he's my uh, hero in this story. <laughs> <laughs> I was super experienced. Like I, it was like a day and I guess it was gusty or something. I mean, I don't even know. Like it, it was the wind. And I think it was your kite. Magal was those yeah. slingshot RPMs. Don't buy those. You guys, they're terrible. <laughs> and I was just landing my kite and I guess a gust hit and it like knocked me over. And then something happened where the, I mean, I know it happened the, the, the line, the bar twisted. So it, 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 made the kite start spinning, but it got hooked. The bar got hooked on my harness and then it just started pulling me down the beach and it was just looping down the beach and I was looping. So it's just like a propeller at that point. And I'm laying on the ground, like just getting pulled down the beach by this propeller and it's heading to a fence, a barbed wire fence. And, and I think what's important for people to know is this is not like a slow little like no, drag no, no. down the beach, right? Kevin like, was like running after me, like full speed, like trying to, to get me. And I couldn't, because of where it was, it's pulling me and I can't un, undo it because it's around my harness. So I couldn't like get it to stop. And so it kept spinning and spinning. And finally, Kevin like caught up to me and he like jumped on me and then like <laughs> laid on me. And then I think the kite flipped around once and it hit on the ground just for a second. And then Kevin like ran off of me and then just jumped on the kite. And we were, I mean, we probably were within 20 feet of a fence or something. Like it was exciting. It was an exciting day. And it was crazy because I was completely experienced. It wasn't like I didn't know what I was doing. I just was just, I didn't know how to stop that particular thing from happening. And there is a way, and I did find out how to do it, but I mean, it was something I never expected to happen. That's probably my most exciting crash. Yeah. There's also a name for that maneuver that was happening to Matt's kite, and it's called the, the death loop. And it just gets in this spiral loop and it doesn't stop. But Super it, fun. It doesn't happen very often. It's a very rare occurrence. Um, I'm glad you're okay. I'm glad my husband was there to <laughs> jump on you. <laughs> no, but honestly, my hero. <laughs> no, right. Um, yeah, it could have been bad if you hit the fence. Might've been bad. Uh, anyone else? So I have one on, uh, December 22nd and I know it was December 22nd because we had a flight out that night. Uh, it was a really windy day and most people had already left for holidays. And so we don't usually like kiting by ourselves, but on this day I was out by myself and it was, it was really windy and it was, you know, I kited in the morning and I had lots of fun. So then I went back in the afternoon and I was kiting and I was out pretty far and I landed a jump and i landed pretty hard and I could sort of see stars. And I thought I was going to pass out. So I turned my kite to head for shore thinking like, well, if I pass out, maybe it'll drag me to the beach. But I didn't pass out. I made it to the beach. And but I knew that, you know, something was wrong. So I landed my kite. And uh, at that point, there was something wrong with my eye. And I thought maybe my I wear contacts. And I thought maybe my contact got shoved into the back of my eye. 
And so I went up to my mirror and I could see with my other eye that my contact was there, but I couldn't see anything out of that eye. So I drove home and I remember saying like, ah, there's, <laughs> I can't really see out of my eye. And Andrew's like, well, we need to go to the hospital. And so we went to the hospital and they told me, oh, we got to take you to Daron. And I was like, I'm not going to Daron. We're flying to France tonight. And so we, we ended up going to France and it ended up being okay. I couldn't see out of that eye for about seven days. We weren't really sure what was going to, what was wrong with it. It ended up being a retina contusion. And so there was like basically blood behind my eyeball that I couldn't see out of, but it was a little scary because we didn't really know what was wrong. And I chose to get on a plane and ignore the doctor to go to Daron and had to sign some papers <laughs> saying I'm going to ignore the doctor's orders. My wife thought it was a great idea. Yeah, but you got to go to France, right? I got so. to go to France. <laughs> okay. I already paid for the trip, guys. There's no way I wasn't going. It was a little bit stressful because then once we got there, because he, he couldn't see, he couldn't ski because his like depth perception was off. But so Kevin laid in a dark room yeah, it, wasn't, I, it wasn't perfect and i'd be like i'll see you later i kind of it was weird um, all right who's next i i just want to add something because i think people who are listening to this podcast might want to try cats this is the kind of story where they go like oh no that's not for me <laughs> nothing bad ever happened to me because what people have to know is if something bad happens most of the time there are two ways you can release your kite so most of the time you're safe because not only there's one way, but there's a second way to release your kite. So you have two chances to uh, control the situation. I had to release my kite several times because I just didn't want to figure out what to do. Like I didn't want to think, so I just say release, release. And I think because I always released, I never, I've never been in a tricky situation. Now, I'm not jumping. I'm not going as far as the other guy in this podcast. <laughs> I'm staying in my comfort zone. <laughs> so also that limits risks for, uh, for me and I guess for whoever wants to try kitesurfing. That is a really good point. Yeah, I would second that. You should definitely try it. But uh, there's, a, there's a learning curve. Uh, so I, I'll, I'll share one. <laughs> um, I've had quite a few things. I've had the death loop happen uh, maybe three times. But now I know what to do, exactly what to do when it happens. So it's not as scary as the first time. Okay, but anyway, uh, Egypt, Dahab, Egypt, and I was in a lagoon. I was still kind of on the learning curve. My kite had hit the water, and so I was launching it out of the water. But instead of sort of letting myself get dragged, I, I, I stood up and I launched the kite, but my feet, like there was a gust and my feet dug into the sand. And it turns out in that particular lagoon, they used to farm mussels in that lagoon. So my foot dug into the sand and a muscle sliced my foot. And so I'm standing. <laughs> so I, it was bad. So as soon as that happened, I like released my kite, put it into the you know neutral position that Fanny was talking about. But at that point, I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? I don't know what to do here. I'm way out here. And luckily... At that time, there were a lot of uh, Russians going to this area. So like this Russian windsurf guy came over. He's like, do you need some help? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> and then like... They was there like blood everywhere? In yeah, it was like Game of Thrones. Like squirt, squirt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah long, long story short, uh, there were some complications getting me out of there. They got me to the shore. They tried to stop the bleeding. 
they threw me in the back of a truck. They took me to a, a like a closet clinic. And then, um, you know, I ended up with five really painful stitches that when Kevin saw the wound, he's like, if you were in Korea, it would have been like 25 stitches. But <laughs> that's probably like the worst one that I've ever had. That was, that was pretty bad. So your holiday was over at that point? Yeah, that was bad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Mr. Legasic, what about you? Well, I was appreciating what Fanny was saying about uh, just you, you have these safety mechanisms and uh, they're there for you to control your kite and do those things. But it, there's always operator error. And I have a, my own three strikes. If I make three kind of bonehead moves before I even get in the water, I sit it out. And I used to do this like for years because I just didn't trust myself. I didn't want to get into one of these situations where I, I hurt myself. So I, I, I live by the three strike rule. And even to this day, I don't make as many mistakes as I used to. Um, humbling moments. I, one that forever sticks with me is like the first weekend I was talking about in Bahrain when I was learning. Um, I kind of felt like I was in a cartoon because the guy said, hey, who wants to give this a try? Who wants to fly it for the first time? I was like, I do. Of course I do. I think I got this down. And so I put the kite in the air and I turned to a friend to say, hey, this isn't so bad. And of course, I pulled the kite, got it into a loop. And I felt kind of like a cartoon where one of the characters ties an anchor line and throws the anchor overboard, ties it to your leg. And they're all looking at this kite, getting energy, and I just get flung off the beach, probably 20, 25 feet into the water from the beach. And everybody is just floored, including myself. I'm totally stunned, have no idea how to stop the kite. I forget the name of the spot, but it's totally, it's one direction. You don't make it back. You have to know how to come back. And, uh, but again, humbling moments. <laughs> and that, that's this, this sport is littered with humbling moments. And, you know, it just happens almost every session. There's something that's going on and <laughs> you have to control it. And uh, you get better at it, though. You definitely get yeah, better at yeah. it. Yeah. And you guys have been kiting for quite a few years now. And, um, you know, you live to tell the story. So it's not that dangerous. I just thought that I'd ask that question because they're kind of interesting stories. I wanted to ask you guys about kiting in Saudi. Saudi isn't, you know, usually on people's bucket lists of places to kite. And um, I was wondering if uh, a couple of you want to say, you know, why is, what, what is it you like about kiting here in Saudi Arabia? You can do it year round, even, even when it gets hot. I mean, cause we leave in the summer, but, um, you can you even when uh, COVID was happening and they let us back onto the water, we were out there as soon as it was happening in August. You know, it can happen. I think one of the nice things about kiting is you don't need a ton of wind to kite. As a windsurfer, I you know we always wanted lots and lots of wind, and that was one of the problems when I moved here, and one of the reasons why I started kiting because kiting is a is a ton of fun even in light wind and windsurfing really doesn't get fun until 20 knots and we just don't get those conditions enough um but the great thing about about saudi we've got these you know rt has beautiful beaches half moon and we often get 15 knot winds very frequently and so there's lots of days that you can be out on the water and um the water is usually warm most of the year and uh the, the winds are warm so it's 
I mean, it's wonderful for kiting here. We, there isn't a lot of crowds. You go to, we went on a trip to Tarifa in Spain and there's hundreds of kiters in the DR in the Dominican Republic. Again, you've got hundreds, hundreds of kiters around you. And that just adds another element of just trickiness uh, that we don't have to deal with here because we don't have the, we don't have any crowds to compete with. And so that's super nice. Because, um, Kev, typically when you guys go to the beach, how many kiters are there? Usually, I mean, because we're on an Aramco camp, there's only Aramcons and there's five, six kiters here. When we would go to Half Moon Bay uh, or what do you call it now, Zabna, maybe 20 kiters? Is that what, that's about what there used to be, maybe on a really busy day. But compared to most places, those are really small numbers. Yes, I, I second that because I started... Uh, here, and when you start kiting, you pay a lot of attention to your kite, and you don't really want to pay attention to what's around you. But when you start in popular places, you also have to pay attention to who's around you. Here in Saudi, in most of, whether it's Zabna or Half Moon Beach, I mean the Aramco Beach, there's barely anyone near you, so you don't have to focus on other people. You can just focus on what you're doing, and this is very convenient. And after going back to popular places, even though I know what I'm doing, I hate constantly having to watch what others are doing because danger can come from others and not from you. Yeah. So that's, I think, one thing that is really nice here for people who want to learn is it's not crowded. I also like the fact that you have different kind of beaches. So if you want to learn, you can go to uh, Zabna. It's shallow everywhere, so it's very safe. And once you know how to kite, I like, uh, I like uh, Rastanura and uh, Half Moon. Half Moon, you get rescue. Rastanura, you don't get rescue, so you better know what you're doing. And also, uh, I started foiling, so I, now I need uh, deep water. But I don't know how to come back, so I still need rescue. <laughs> so Half Moon, like Aramco Beach, is the best place because it's deep right away. And when I'm stuck, because I can go one direction but not the other, when I'm stuck, I just wave at the lifeguards and then come and pick me up. That's a so nice that's service. Because it's very convenient. And could you just quickly, Fanny, just say uh, for the listener what foiling is? Foiling is a, is a board that has a mass under. And the faster you go, the higher it goes, kind of. Uh, you have speed, um, speed boats that have the same system. So they go up above the water. You have the same thing with uh, kite foiling. And the nice thing about kite foiling is you can go when there's barely wind. We don't need much wind to kite foil. So that's uh, that's another way to make sure you can go kite surfing every weekend, even though the wind is not strong enough. Right. Now, I just want to say foiling is like my passion right now. I love the feeling of it. It's like if you've ever snowboarded and you hit powder and it, you rise above the powder and you're floating, that's the feeling of, of foiling. It's unbelievable. Oh, great. Thanks, Scotty. <laughs> Now I'm going to have to invest in that too. <laughs> you won't regret it. <laughs> I was wondering about like next steps for you guys, for kiters. Like this, this will be uh, my last question. We're going to wrap it up here, but what are your uh, kite goals? If we can just go around, like what are you, what's the next thing that you, that you're either working on with kiting or not working on anymore? <laughs> Maybe because you're, you're at a stage where you're not going to be doing that anymore. I don't know, just saying, Kevin. <laughs> just, yeah, what's what's next steps for, for kiters? <laughs> uh, I'll go ahead, wife, since you implied. Um, as my wife implied, I've, I've hurt my body a little bit <laughs> doing certain things. 
Um, so I used to love just riding the twin tip, um, sort of like the wakeboard style kiting and jumping. And all I wanted to do was sort of jump as high as I could. And after a few injuries and some, some body pains, I've sort of moved away from that. And now I'm spending lots of time riding a surfboard, which I'm, I'm really enjoying. It's just different, something new. Uh, but I also have a foil board and I love doing that when it's, when the wind's light. Just and, for, sorry, just for reference, can you tell people what, what do professionals jump? Like what are the, what are, what, how, how high could a person potentially jump on a kiteboard? So the professionals are, they're jumping in the plus 30 meter range these days. I think the record's in the 34, 35 meters. Um, so it's ridiculous, over a hundred feet. Yeah. Um, We're not jumping that high. No, <laughs> but high enough, high enough to hurt the body a little bit still. No, I think personally though, I, I mean, I love riding the surfboard and there's less impact than the twin tip, but it's still a little bit choppy. And when I ride my foil, I'm like, oh, this is what I'll do when I'm old, like 70. I'll still be, <laughs> still be, he'll be cruising around on my foil board because apparently I'm already old guys. Uh, but yeah, I love the foil board and I think it just has a ton of longevity to it. Like Scott said, it's, it takes away all the friction from the surface of the water and it's a wing that floats underneath the water or, or, you know, goes through the water and it's just, yeah, it's tons of fun. And, you know, it's not something you get tired of. No one gets tired of making turns in powder. Uh, I feel like it's going to be the same thing with foiling. I, I just don't think you would get tired of it. Danny, what's the next step? for you what are you working on with kiting foiling i watched scott i watched my husband and i know don't look at him because you will never able to do what he does i watched scott i said oh, if scott does it maybe i can do it no i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> but i have to say that i followed scott advice more than my husband's advice and they helped a lot like i was surprised i could foil faster than what i thought also i can just go one way still not the other way so yes, getting better at foiling and especially being able to come back without cooling the life cords all the time. <laughs> that would be a big step for me. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if I'll be able to do it once, but I would like to learn how to uh, surf, kite surf with a surfboard in waves. Whoa, very that's cool. <laughs> that's awesome. Matt McGow. Uh, I think one of the things I love about kiting is you don't actually need to have like a goal, right? You can yeah, just go out sure. there and you just... Like, I mean, a year ago, I wouldn't have said like, oh, I want to be good at surfing or whatever on the surfboard. I kind of wasn't into it. Now it's like what I do. And so sometimes you go out and you're like, I'm going to work on jumps. And then the wind isn't right. And you're like, well, I'll do this other thing instead. Mm. So I think what's interesting about sports like a kite surfing style sport is it's endless. It's just you can do whatever and there's no rules. There's no you're not heading anywhere. You're not doing like anything specific. You just make it up. And then you have the ability to take the wind, the board, the water, and like think your own way. And then you get to create whatever it is. And so I think that's kind of the way I look at it. And I'm like, Oh, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, like I'll, I mean, I'm, and, I'm, and you have to keep an open mind. I'm willing to do anything at this point. Right. I mean, I'd love to learn how to foil. I like surfing in the waves is super fun. But I would never like not jump or be, you know what I mean? Sometimes and going downwind is super fun. I think your uh, future I, holds a lot more kiting. With, I uh, think it does. <laughs> with I think the, it does hold a lot more Matt's kiting. taking a, the 50 year old gap year and uh, 
think he's gonna. Yeah, that's have some a whole time. other podcast. Fifty year old gap year. <laughs> I mean, we, we could just meet up and just rebrand your podcast and be like the fifty year old gap year. Let's check in. It's an amazing <laughs> concept. I love it, Scott. What about you? Well, I think I have to up my game, according to Fanny. So no. <laughs> <laughs> No, anybody that's met her husband knows exactly what she's talking about. So uh, I actually second what Matt's saying. It just depends on the conditions, whatever's available, depending on the wind and the conditions. I just have been in foiling because the Coast Guard has been a, a little bit iffy with Half Moon Beach, and often they close it when it starts to get good. So foiling is pretty much what's only been available. Yeah, so that's what it is. I, too, have a gap year coming up or gap years coming up. So we'll see what the future holds. Too. Very exciting. Uh, Matt Legasic. Uh, you know, I I just love getting on the water. Um, I, I tend to be the guy that's mowing the lawn out there. And uh, <laughs> as of recently, I bought a surfboard. Super, super fun. I want to continue that. Uh, Matt keeps talking about and promoting the Planet of the Apes, which is a downwinder at his house. That's one of the goals would be to get there and experience that with those guys. Really, I, I just want to be out on the water as much as my body will allow it. I'm the, I'm the old guy here. I think I'm the oldest one. And I want to do this past I'm past 60 when I get out of here. So You're for sure I the oldest make- by a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I just want to make sure that I'm able to get on the water and have that feeling out there because I love it. You know what I love about uh, kiting is that it kind of brings people together. And um, and I think it's really cool because it takes a lot of, I know from experience, uh, extra effort because I am not currently a kiter, but I've tried many times. It's super hard to do. And I, um, yeah, Matt. I just want, like, I think that's one of the coolest things, like what you're saying. Like, so a sport I came from is surfing. And when you surf, like, nobody helps you like nobody would help you surfing and you definitely no one would tell you a spot to go to like they would just love to watch you fail and that's just the culture of surfing like surfing is not but kiting is so inclusive like you go to the beach someone's like what kind of kite do you have oh how's that bar like oh here let me launch you let me land you and like i think there's this like community that kiting builds and i and i think honestly it's because whenever you start it's like you need a buddy and then whenever you land, you need a buddy. And so it's like you have to have this initial conversation. And through that conversation, it, it's you form a relationship. And then like kiters are just so nice. And it's such to come from a sport like surfing where it is the opposite. Not to say that I don't love surfing. I love surfing. But kiting is so much more welcoming. And it's everywhere I've ever been. It's the same. Like people are just like happy that you're kiting and they're willing to share with you. And they're they'll tell you everything they know about kiting if you like let them so it's a really cool sport for that yeah i love that i agree uh kev i just wanted to ask about your kite experiences and if you've ever done kite lessons oh (laughs) i alluded to it a little bit um I've only done it a little bit, but <laughs> enough to also have, I could have contributed to the, like, act, the, the stories. Like Matt Miguel was there when I, uh, my kite lines were wrapped around a, a, a an innocent fisherman's boat that <laughs> he, he was We just, have the picture, the before picture where you're just like right in it. I'm just complaining because I've spent a lot of money on kite lessons for my wife in, in many different beautiful locations. I know. I'm getting there. One day, maybe. One day I'll be out there with you guys. You're like my heroes. One day 
Uh, thank you so much for your um, for your time and for sharing your passion and with the rest of the SAES community. I think it's been fun just to know you, just to get to know this. So uh, uh, thank you. Thank you very much. This was this was awesome. Thank you for listening to Just to Know You. We would like to thank our amazing tech man, Mr. Kent Arimura, Sterling McDonald for the podcast music, and the SAES community. See you next time. If you know anyone who you think has a great story to tell, we would love to hear about it. Please send an email to either Angela, Darian, or Kent.